Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. We are in a bunch of different books again. We moved from 1 Kings to 2 Kings, 1 Thessalonians to 2 Thessalonians to 1 Timothy. Mm-hmm. And then we're in Daniel for a while. There's so much good stuff. So we're going to talk first about 1 Kings. Ahab is interesting in this section because he kind of, at one point, he humbles himself before God. Yeah, he repents. He was supposed to get punished. Yes, the end of chapter 21. Yes. Elijah goes to confront him. Yep. And And God gives, basically curses him through Elijah. And then it says, Ahab Ahab. heard what Elijah had to say. Mm -hmm. He ripped his clothes to shreds, dressed in penitential rough burlap and fasted. He even slept in coarse burlap pajamas. He tiptoed around quiet as a mouse. And so because of that, God decides to not bring this curse that he's said he will bring on his lifetime, but during Ahab's son's lifetime. Yeah, which I always find so interesting. Which is so interesting. Yes. Did Ahab feel relieved about that? I feel like as a parent, I wouldn't. One of the kings, I think it's Hezekiah. We'll probably find out in one of the, I think in Chronicles. But one of them is like, um, God says, "Um, I'm not going to bring this on you, but I'll bring it on your children or the generations to come. And Hezekiah is like, oh, good. It's not going to happen during my lifetime. And so then he doesn't worry about it. I think that's like a character issue. (laughs) I don't know. I read that and I think that's humanity right there. It's, yes. I can see myself feeling that way and doing that. For sure, I have those feelings sometimes. Yes, that's like, true. Well, I mean, as long as the end of the world doesn't come while I'm still living, or as long as the Christians aren't persecuted to death until after I'm dead, it's right. totally fine. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's, I'm guessing perhaps Ahab probably did feel better about that. Although you're right, it specifies his son, like it's your son, which mm-hmm. if you love your son, how can that make you feel better? Yeah. And I, it's almost it, like God recognized his repentant heart and God honors repentance in, in that way. But he knew that his repentant heart for this period of time wasn't going to make up for what he modeled for his son. Mm-hmm. God knew his son was going to carry out the same mm-hmm. atrocities. Right. Yeah. It also made me wonder the extent of Ahab's repentant. Well, right. Like if you just even look at Nebuchadnezzar, like he's repentant, right? arrogant, repentant, arrogant, repentant, arrogant. And, and he obviously acknowledges God as the one true God, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Right. But then he thinks that he's the greatest again in a palace. Right. Like, and then he gets, tra- right. I know. I'm like, seriously, dude, do you not remember what you said one chapter ago? Yeah. But I wish I could remember. Let's keep talking. We started in the second Kings. I'm like, well, there's Mark. Oh, there's the book of Mark again. There's Mark. There's Mark. Leaving everything behind. Yeah. He leaves everything behind. He like leaves his plow in the field to go follow Elijah. Like that's exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples that they need to do. Not look back. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things like Elijah answered, if it's true that I'm a holy man, lightning strike you and your 50 men. For whatever reason, that totally reminded me of, we were just studying in Mark chapter 10, where 
Jesus says to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good teacher? Oh, the only one who's good is God. Well, we know dramatic irony that he is God, but like Jesus knows he's going to prove himself to be God. Elijah here is also like, why do you call me holy man? You don't believe it, but you're about to find out that I actually am. Almost like Elijah knew their hearts. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like they're, you're calling me this, but you don't actually, you're calling, you're kind of just like stroking my ego. Yeah. You don't actually believe this to be true about who I am. I actually didn't go that far. I didn't go that far with the thinking. It was just sort of like, it, it echoed that to me. But what okay. you're saying sort of helps draw that out to me. Like, yes, it's almost the same thing where God, Jesus is saying, like, why do you call me a good teacher? The only one good is God. And perhaps that's sort of what he's going right. for. Right. Do you like, actually recognize who I am? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So then... um Verse nine, Elijah said to Elisha, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Ask anything. That's exactly what Jesus says at the end of this last chapter that we were just reading. He says to the disciples who says, um, the disciples come to him, James and John, and they say, Lord, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And he's like, what would you like me to do for you? And then they ask him. And of course, like, he's like, I can't, I can't give you what you're asking because it's not for me to give, but I can give you what is he that when they ask to sit on his right and his left? Yes. And he's like, yeah. he's like, I am going to give you more than what you're asking for, which unfortunately means a whole bunch of suffering, but it also mm-hmm. means freedom and joy and um, life. So anyway, there, and then, and then Bartimaeus right after that is blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus says the same thing to him. What do you want me to do for you? So it's just that same question where Elijah says, what yeah, do you want me to do for you before I go? Anything you ask. And Elisha's response is just so much like the disciples, you know, your life repeated in my life. I want to be a holy man, just like you. That's who the disciples become, right? They mm-hmm. long to just be, I just want to be holy like you, whatever, whatever you have to do in me. I want to be like you. Mm-hmm. I just, again, for three days, they looked searching high and low and they found nothing when they were looking for Elijah. Mm-hmm. Um, made me think of Jesus for three days in the tomb. Hi, I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know about a couple of great resources we have for you. First, did you know that we have two podcasts? I know, it's confusing, but we have this one, The Recap, where we highlight our takeaways from the Bible reading plan, but we also have one called The Dive Collective Podcast, on which we highlight the gifts and talents and stories of our members. We have three great interview episodes already up, but we have more coming soon. So you're going to want to access those on both Google and the Apple podcast platforms. We also have a couple of excellent free Bible reading resources on our website at divecollective.org. When you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get weekly emails with a devotion to start your week and a free download of the Bible reading plan. And we also have a dive guide in the shop. So check the shop out too while you're there. So head on over to divecollective.org to grab your free resources soon. The other thing that's so interesting is thinking about, and I think we talked about it in our previous podcast, but Elijah in Mark is mentioned so often, especially in that passage, I think Mm -hmm. in chapter nine, where Jesus starts to talk about himself in a third person as the son of man, right after they say that some people say that he's Elijah or some other prophet, Mm. Um, but they said that he's the Messiah and Jesus affirms that. And then Jesus starts talking about himself and as a son of man, which is how God refers to his prophets. And so anyway, all of that, but Elijah gets mentioned several times in that chapter. There was meant to be a lot of parallels between the story of Jesus and Elijah. And there are mm-hmm. so many. 
which it's funny because I was thinking about Moses or Moses represents Jesus in a whole lot mm-hmm. of ways in his story, which is no mistake. I'm sure that they're the two that are beside him at the transfiguration. When the transfiguration happens. Yeah. yeah. Man, I could spend a lot of time thinking about that, but we should mm-hmm. probably move on to, to where are we? <laughs> Daniel? Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. So we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar. His request is so interesting to me that Nebuchadnezzar. Why wouldn't he tell that him? He that he expected, right, that he expected that there would be someone in his kingdom who could answer that question. Yes. And I know that there, there are times that false prophets are able to do things. There is power there on the other side, you mm-hmm. know? Yep. But it was just such an interesting request. And it just made me like, obviously, this is God's hand. Nebuchadnezzar making that request in the first place. And then God's like, well, I'm going to give you someone who can answer that. And starting down this path to Do you think maybe he was so disturbed that he was like... That he didn't want to say... Uh, he didn't want to take any chances that somebody was just going to make up an interpretation. It was yeah. like, this is so disturbing that the only person... Yeah. Which again, I'm with you though. Like, how could he be so certain that somebody would even be able to do that unless he believed that there was really a God with real power? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was trying to get at. Anyway. So then Daniel interprets the dream and he interprets it more important than interpreting it. He tells him what his dream was Mm -hmm. because Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill all of the wise men who Daniel was actually in charge of. I did not realize until we were studying Matthew recently with a bunch of people who were smarter than me, that Dan, that the wise men probably came from this group of people. You knew that? I didn't know that. So Daniel's in charge of all the wise men here. And he continues on for many king for several kingdoms. We discover in this week of reading that there's, yes, that he's Nebuchadnezzar's favorite. The ne- Belshazzar's are, which sounds a lot like Daniel's name. I hate that the names are so confusing. Daniel is Belteshazzar. Beth Moore would be so disappointed in me. She said, you know, take the time to know their names. Take the time to know their names. Yeah. Daniel, I'm pretty sure is Belteshazzar. The king is Belshazzar. But when I went ahead in chapter nine, because we meet Darius. Yes. Darius is in chapter nine. So we meet Nebuchadnezzar, then we meet Belshazzar, then we meet Darius. But then it goes back and talks but then about it goes the back. dreams that he had with Belshazzar. Yes. yes. And so I'm like, and I remember when we studied this. Beth Moore's book. There, yes. It goes back and forth. And there's these ancient kings are, sometimes they go by different two names. Like, I just remember there being something confusing, but I think these are all separate kings. Darius. Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel works his way to the top in every single situation. Like yes. He's a favorite. He's um, he's a favorite. And because he's a favorite and because they can't find any dirt on him, I mean, so applicable to our political season, because the people that are serving with him can't find any dirt on him, they decide that they're going to set up this royal decree by King Belshazzar. Yeah, That's the Belshazzar. prayer one. Yep. Yep. That he can't pray. My favorite line is that Daniel, when Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he continued to pray just as he had always done. I just love that. I feel like there's sort of, um, it it makes me think of today, like where we're told we can't do things like you can't go to church. You can't like, it's like you can decree all you want, but like, you can't keep me from communing with my God. That's not, that's not a thing. 
One of the things that really stood out to me, I guess probably a highlight for me of this story of Daniel is all of the worshipful responses of the kings. They're so encouraging. What Nebuchadnezzar says, peace and prosperity to all. It's my privilege to report to you the gracious miracles that the high God has done for me. He says his mercies are staggering. His wonders are surprising. His kingdom lasts and lasts. His sovereign rule goes on forever. And then afterwards, after he comes back from being a goat. Yeah. <laughs> so he loses his mind does it again. Yeah. So um, after that, 12 months after Daniel had warned him that about the dream that he was going to go and be some sort of animal feeding in the pastures, just 12 months later, he was walking in the balcony of his Royal palace in Babylon and boasted, look at this Babylon, the great. And I built it all myself, a Royal palace adequate for, to display my honor and glory. And so then he goes for seven years and he gets the consequences of exactly what Daniel had said his dream had meant. Mm-hmm. And at the end of seven years, he looks up to heaven because he was given his, and he was given his mind back. And then he says, he glorifies God. He says his sovereign rule lasts and lasts. His kingdom never declines and falls. Life on this earth doesn't add up to much, but God's heavenly army keeps everything going. No one can interrupt his work. No one can call his rule into question. If there's anything comforting right now, like this whole prayer. I think Daniel says it. Um, it's part of the interpretation of the dream. And he's telling Nebuchadnezzar that he's going to be living like a cow. And he says, and this is going to happen until you acknowledge that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. Nice. That's it. Yes. And it's still true today. Yeah. And I mean, I think that part of Daniel's visions and dreams are showing that his dreams and visions go toward like they end at the end of times, a judgment that we haven't received yet. So he's, we're still in those kingdoms that are all part of this plan Mm -hmm. that Daniel's already had visions about, which is again, encouraging that God Mm -hmm. has his hat on. He's got his hat on. Sometimes I forget and I don't, we don't talk about the stories because they get talked to, because they're like the ones that most Christians know, but I don't want to forget to talk about Nebuchadnezzar throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace for the same reason that Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den because they won't bow to his statue. Statue, yeah. Yeah. And so they get thrown into this furnace. And again, if I'm not mistaken, Nebuchadnezzar didn't actually want to. Mm-mm. throw them into the furnace. So it's a very similar story. It seems like there's a lot of jealousy from from the king's other high-ranking yeah. officials that hate these men that fear God. And so they trick the kings into doing things. It's to try super to parallel yeah. from yep. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story. It's very parallel to the, den, yeah. the lion's den story with Daniel. So anyway, they go into the, they get thrown into this furnace and the king sees four people walking through the furnace instead of just the three instead of just the three and then they come out unscorched of this furnace but their response to him before they go in is sure throw us into the furnace we'll either die which is fine or we won't because god is god and we're not no matter what you do to us we are not bowing down to your gods mm-hmm. this is the kind of obstinance that we need to have like we have to have that because when we come to persecutions like this like that's the kind of faith that's going to be required to to endure Mm -hmm. it, you know, but this is the part where like, this is the promise, right? If we endure 
those persecutions with that kind of faith. And we trust that no matter what happens, whether we lose our lives or not, we're only going to gain our lives. Like that's the only thing that can happen. And so they do, they come out of this fire, which is such a great parallel for the refining fire. And so God's with them. That's the other part is that like Jesus is like, that's really what's happening there is that Mm -hmm. Jesus is with them in that fire. That's how most people or a lot of people interpret that Jesus is the one in that fire with them. And it, definitely fits with the metaphor that I think God is drawing up for us there. The harder the things that we go through are, I don't know if that's a correct sentence, but the harder they Mm -hmm. are, the more present Jesus is. The time that you'll feel him the closest is when you're going through the hardest things, which is why I know it sounds crazy, but sometimes I long for those times. Like sometimes I long for times that are tough. Like I'm actually going through a season right now where I've had that thought multiple times. It's kind of flowed through my head is when I think about like the things that would be the hardest, like I don't want those, but I do want to feel him so close. Like I, Mm -hmm. and I know it takes that sometimes. Yeah. Let's move on to first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians and first Timothy. I love how much Paul loves the Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. It makes me love him a little bit more. <laughs> he's so proud of them. He's just so proud of them. He's like, he keeps yes. getting words of how re- they remain faithful. I don't know what trials mm. they're going through because I didn't study like the context at all, but I know whatever it is, whatever's happening, they're going through really hard things. And Paul's like, I know that you are keeping the faith and I'm so proud of you. Like he just keeps saying that over and mm-hmm. over again. And it's, it's by far the most affirming that I've ever seen Paul speak to any of his churches. He loves all of his churches so much. He loves the Galatians so much that he's like exhorting them. Like, yes. you know, like he, he's super just strong. Yeah. yeah. Super strong words. And it's almost like rebuke. And then the Ephesians, it's actually very similar. Like he loves them so much. They take so much time to like teach them how to do well. And then this Thessalonian church, he's just, he's just so affirming. There were a couple of times in this. So it made me think of, we've talked before about how it seems like, I think it was in first or second Corinthians, maybe how when Paul's writing, it seems like he's expecting the return of the Lord. Like now, like it's happening. Yes. yes. And it's switched. Like now I feel like in this, he's like, we don't know when this is coming. Yes. It could be a long time. So keep doing what you're doing. Yes. Kind of. It's like this different Yes. Which makes me wonder just now I'm thinking about this, what the timeline of those. Yeah. It seems like he's a little bit more aware of the fact that, okay, it's not happening tomorrow. Like I thought, I mean, it could, but it could also be a really long time. So stand firm and. Yeah. A couple of notes that I wrote in chapter four, I wrote the way that Eugene Peterson translates the very beginning of chapter four. He said, one final word, friends, we ask you, urge you is more like it, that you keep on doing what we told you to do to please God, not in dogged religious plod, but in a living spirit and mm. dance. And the, just the fact of him using the word plod, when I was saying recently that I feel like I'm plodding a lot, like I'm just plodding yep. along. It was that's exactly what he's hedging. talking about. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that was my my response to feeling like I was plodding along as Lord, like put a little, a little skip in my step because I'm... Yeah. I'm feeling like I'm just plodding along. And then in first Timothy, the, the only other note I wrote for this reading, I have lots of highlights, but the only other note that I wrote for this one, I don't know, maybe verse six, the whole point of what we're urging is simply love, love uncontaminated by self-interest and counterfeit faith, a life open to God. Those who fail to keep to this point 
soon wander off into cul-de-sacs of gossip. They set themselves up as experts on religious issues, but haven't the remotest idea of what they're holding forth with such imposing eloquence. Hmm. In the next start, it says, it's true that moral guidance and counsel need to be given, but the way you say it and to whom you say it are as important as what you say. It's obvious, isn't it? that the law code isn't primarily for people who live responsibly, but for the irresponsible who defy all authority, riding roughshod over God, life, sex, truth, whatever. They are the contemptuous of this great message I've been put in charge of by this great God. Mm. I would imagine your translation is very different from that. Mm. I like that he's emphasizing that while it's important to talk about important moral issues, if we get off the topic of love, it soon spirals the toilet bowl into meaningless mm-hmm. gossip and speaking like an expert on things that you have no business speaking about. And so if you keep love as your guideposts, then that's going to influence how and who you talk to about these specific cul-de-sacs that he calls them. <laughs> I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. It's a good lesson. It's a really good lesson. Yeah. He's not negating the fact that we still have to have these conversations of theology, but how we talk about it and love being at the center of it is crucial. Right. The next section right after that is what I was trying to find earlier when we were talking about um, Ahab and Nebuchadnezzar and their repentance. Paul is basically, he says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted acted out of ignorance and unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them. Just that, just the fact that it's not too late, it's never too late and there's, you're never too far. Like Paul is saying, I was the worst of sinners because I was arrogant and a blasphemer. And Ahab, we've seen, like it says, Ahab did what was evil before, worse than anyone before him. And then at the end of his life, he humbles himself before God and Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar has God's people in captivity and yes. recognizes was chosen by that. God. Yeah. yeah. That was something that I connected That's through, so good. Uh, through the passages this week that I thought was cool. And it's always been that way. Like that's a really great, you think Paul's an exception. Right. He's not. Yeah. It's so fun to kind of make that connection between, I mean, Paul's a real, Paul was a religious man from the beginning, but even being a religious man from the beginning, he was so, he was so wrong. Right. Well, and Ahab and Nebuchadnezzar were religious. Like they were crazy worshiping their false gods. But they were pagan know? religious. So you kind of think that they're a different, we yeah. think of them as different, but they're not in God's, but, like, that's what's crazy. Right. It right. was never Paul was about, on the wrong track just as much as they were. Yes. As long, I mean, anybody who's following the law without faith mm-hmm. is just as far off as the guy that's worshiping other gods. Mm-hmm. Faith, faith, faith. I don't think I've ever really understood that concept as much as I do now after studying Galatians. And I think it was the passage where it talks about how the promise was given 400 and some years before mm-hmm. the law was given and going, oh, yeah. the Israelites salvation was based on faith in the Redeemer. Right. That to them the was ahead. Right. And for us, it's yes. behind. It's yep. the same thing. It mm-hmm. was the same thing for them as it is for us now. I mean, that's totally not a theology I was taught. I was never taught. 
that it was as much about faith for them as it is about us. I really thought that the law had something to do, like them keeping the law and their sacrifices had something to do with their righteousness, but it was all, it was all faith. Crazy. The law was there for a purpose. Because their hearts was, were hard. Right, exactly. Like, and it's one of those things that I'm like, it's both and, but is it both and? It's a covenant of works. Like God made this promise to them that if you do this, then I will do this. If you don't do this, then I will do and I will do this, like that there were, it was like this give and take relationship covenant that he made with them. After so he made the first covenant. Right. So, right. So in that sense, it is based on works. Like he held them to a standard. He required things of them, but all of those things were because of the promise that he had made. Like those things were there like to, well, like Paul says in Galatians, like to keep them on the path to the promise, mm-hmm. to remind them of the promise, to keep them focused on the promise. And instead they became focused on the law. Yes. So it's one of those things that like, I'm like, yes, Thinking it was that the goal was faith. to keep the law to achieve righteousness when the righteousness right. was already achieved in the belief that Abraham had. Yes. That he faith. had faith in the mm-hmm. promise and it was credited to him as righteousness. Mm -hmm. Abraham's faith was in what God promised was to come. And our faith is what we look back and see that God has done. Yeah. And then we still have this, we still have hope. Like we have faith. We're still required. Yeah. And there's still like us, like, right. It's even though we're looking back to Christ, we're still looking forward. Like we still have hope in faith and the hope of the promise that even though Christ has come, like this is not the end. There's still like the final it's going to even be better. Like he's going to f- accomplish all of it. You are just like the end. That is a foreshadowing of what's to come for Advent. Yeah. That's what it's, that's what Advent is all about. The waiting. Yeah. Right. So like, we're still in that. W- yes. Like we're still waiting, but for a different thing. Yeah. For our yeah. King. That's the recap. We'll see you next week. Oh, that was life giving. Oh, Yeah, that was good. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.